Welcome to Taking Up Space on CFUV 101.9 FM, broadcasting from the Wasanich and Songhees territories of the Sinchothan and Lekwungen-speaking peoples, also known as Victoria. On this episode, we're going to talk about gender variance and what it means to exist outside or within both of those seemingly immovable categories of man and woman. We'll talk to folks who are creating their own language, performance art, ways of being, and communities that defy the rules of masculinity and femininity. Folks that are laying the groundwork for a future that is non-binary. A future of gender-fluid possibilities, one where gender queerness and gender nonconformity shine brightly and beautifully in the open. A future where two-spirit identity is given the respect and importance in community that it once was. We're talking about a world where everyone, including cisgender people, that is, those for whom their gender lines up with the one they were assigned at birth, can exercise a freedom from gender, a freedom within gender, or a freedom across genders. The world can be safer, more creative, and nurture more compassion, more brilliance, and more beauty if we all have the capacity to explore, to play, and create gendered expressions that are expansive rather than reductive, that are self-defined rather than imposed, that are playful and empowering rather than restrictive and scrutinized. A world where you can't do gender wrong, it's yours, and no one can take it from you or police you about it. And they don't want to because they are comfortably in their own equally beautiful gender, ripe with possibility and residence. Part of creating that world is addressing where we're at now and dreaming it into being allowed in conversation with each other. I want to live in that. I want to go there. I want to live there. (laughs) Dang. I really do want to live there. So let's get into it. So my name is Janine and I'm a white settler living on Lekwungen territory lands. Yeah, so I I identify as non-binary. Yeah, my name is Jade, and I am a non-binary trans femme. Hi, my name is Eddie Wilson. I am a 32-year-old Crematee performance artist and veterinary technician. Um, I grew up on Lekwungen and Wissanik territory, and my family is from Athabasca, Alberta. Hi, my name is Katie Sage. Um, I like to spell it K-8-E. S-A-G-E. Yeah, I love my name. I think it really suits me. I like it. It was given to me by my parents. I like it. I identify as non-binary and I feel like I've also used terms like gender non-conforming or agender or just like all these terms that have existed because if it's mostly because people are like are you this like and then I'm like yeah sure that resonates my name is Coco Nielsen I am a white settler living on these unceded unsurrendered territories of the Lekwungen and Hosanich peoples I am a non-binary person and I'm here to talk about that uh, my name's Ned. Um, rather than using pronouns, I generally prefer to just have my name used to address me, which is some learning that I um, received from other people in the community that felt really meaningful and important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm pretty ambivalent, I think, about most pronouns, so I'm, I don't get upset if people use they, them or um, anything like that. I'm Otis. I'm transgender masculine, non-binary, genderqueer. Um, yeah, I came out as queer at 14, but I've really been genderqueer, really expressed my whole life. Hi, my name is Lane. Uh, I use they, them pronouns. Um, I feel like it's definitely something that's always um, changing and becoming. It's emergent. Um, But yeah, I would say that I am a trans non-binary person. 
As you can hear, language is a huge part of self-definition for non-binary and two-spirit people. The confines of language, of naming ourselves, becomes evident when we try to find, use, and invent language that really resonates with our experience. There's not one word that works for all gender-variant people, so it's important to check in around how someone self-describes. And FYI, this whole business of non-binary identity is very near and dear to my heart, because that's how I identify. So you'll hear me as an interview guest throughout this episode. But for now, here's Lane. I don't really feel super connected to um, language like transmasculine, masculine or feminine. I think I have used language like maybe demi-boy to explain myself in past, but I'm kind of reevaluating that language and seeing how those labels feel. And I feel kind of like they're nice warm scarves or something that I like try on and see how they feel for a while. And then if they're not serving me, then find something new that feels really good. I think the closest thing that describes my gender identity is trans, masculine, genderqueer, bearded, butch, dyke. I use words like non-binary, gender non-conforming, gender fluid, gender queer to describe my gender identity. Um, I don't know when I started using those terms. Um, maybe it's been five years or so. Um, I don't think I've ever really had any sort of grand coming out about being non-binary partly because I'm a person who always thinks that my actions speak louder than my words and so I tend to not communicate as much as I should um so when I'm expressing myself in the world and just being in the world I want people to see me for who I am without the confines of um this thing called language sometimes it's hard to express who you are um I believe that I, yeah, I mean, I don't really know biology, whatever, socialization, all of these things, but like, I don't feel like my gender identity has had any sort of dramatic change in recent life. I feel like I've been non-binary so long as I've sort of experienced gender in the world. I use he or they. Um, I prefer the pronoun he because I was assigned female at birth. So for me, it feels really good in affirming of being queer and genderqueer and non-binary and trans to be called he, but I really like they. And I like to I like to use they, especially in you know, in spaces that there's plenty of other they people. Non-binary is saying what you're not. And it's like I like that. I initially didn't for some reason, but now I like that because there's this like great like trick of being like, you can't peg me down exactly because you all you know is what I'm not, um, which is great because to me it gives a lot of like flexibility and a lot of leeway and it means that I can like float around in this like goo of gender. <laughs> I'm more of a soft butch, you know, or kind of a faggy twinky butch. I just expect people know because this is who I am. Don't you see me? I expect people to see everything about me without me having to tell them. Sometimes you have to communicate. Sometimes you have to find the words, even in imperfect language. Right now, it all just kind of coexists for me. What's visible or invisible at different points in my life, to me, changes the social dynamic. But at the core of it, I'm the same person. I kind of like to joke that I'm a bearded butch. And it's not really... I think it's a joke because um, I'm playing because like there's no ideal language. I feel for myself that non-binary is a term that I've used that hasn't recreated my gender. It's simply given me language and language is important and powerful and can be super helpful, but it hasn't reinvented me. Um, Being non-binary means that I can slough off the like stifling gendered extremes of being a man and being a woman and I can find another comfy spot that works for me I think my gender is a punk too I want to throw that in there because that's a gender I can choose whatever pronoun I want and it is still non-binary because you cannot distill the complexity of my gender into one pronoun pronouns are a piece of self-definition but they're not everything 
And while language can help us name our experience and find community and connect with people who experience some part of their identity in similar ways that we do, as we've heard, it's imperfect and restrictive. It changes over time, sometimes too slowly, or only within smaller contexts or communities for whom it has actual relevance, but it can also be a powerful tool for coming into ourselves. Here's Eddie talking about their journey towards reclaiming two-spirit identity. It was when I was younger, um, kind of going through puberty, I guess, um, and not really feeling like I fit anywhere being pale-skinned and non-binary and wanting to identify more strongly with my Métis heritage that I found the term two-spirit and it just kind of really like fit and sunk in with me. Words can have hugely different meanings depending on who says them, in what context, and with what intention. So again, it's important to let non-binary people speak for themselves and to elect and change the terms they use, we use, to reflect a living language and an evolving experience that, while commonalities do of course exist, is largely individual. You might hear people identify as two-spirit, gender non-conforming, non-binary, genderqueer, trans, agender, bigender, trigender, pangender, gender fluid, or any number of other terms that I don't know about yet. Some people who identify as two-spirit also identify as trans or non-binary. Certainly not all trans people identify as non-binary. Identities can be overlapping, can be multiple, hybrid, and fluid. The point is that if someone says they're genderqueer, that's what they are, and that's how we should talk about them. Language around gender variance is evolving. For example, genderqueer is an earlier term, coming out of the 80s, while gender non-binary is more common these days. All these terms and expressions make it seem like gender stuff is changing so fast. It used to be so simple, right? But it's important to remember that while the language might be changing, the fact remains, gender variance has been around forever. Here's Eddie again. I think one of the biggest misconceptions about two-spirit people is the shockingly widespread belief that we are a modern social phenomenon, um, which is absolutely not true. And again, thanks to colonization, a lot of our stories have been carefully destroyed and erased. And unfortunately, there is a lot of kind of piecing together things to try to make sense of it all. Um, you know, the fact is that gender variant people have existed since the beginning across a variety of cultures. And it is very much, we are very much an important and, and natural part of humanity and always have been. And it's not only important to remember that gender variance has been around forever, but that in many indigenous communities, gender-variant people were held up and celebrated, not just tolerated or accepted. From my understanding, um, you know, back before the days of colonization, gender-variant people, two-spirit people, were just seen as a normal, inherent part of society. You know, they also held important roles in society. Um, they were often tasked with things like child-rearing or relationship counseling or even performing ceremonies to help deceased loved ones pass to the correct realm, because they had the balance of both male and female energy and the spectrum in between within them, they were seen as having, you know, a more complete perspective, being able to see things from all sides and possessing the ability to be a guiding force in the community. So, I mean, everybody had their special roles in, in First Nations cultures. For Eddie, uncovering the repressed histories of gender variant people within their culture and tradition and reclaiming that identity for themselves gave them a sense of pride and affirmed the role as a caretaker for their father. Uh, speaking about the roles of, the traditional roles of two-spirit people before colonization, again, uh, before I knew a lot of that, um, that they were involved in ceremonies and helping the deceased pass to the other realm, I actually found myself as a role of caretaker for my dad when he was doing palliative care. And that was a really, um, really deeply emotional experience for all of us. But and something that I struggled with for a very long time after he passed away. But I, I know that I was in that role because I was meant to be, and that um, 
yeah, um, I was really grateful that I was able to instinctually provide that service for him. So again, um, I feel, yeah, I feel as a two-spirit person that uh, um, it allows me to step into my power a little bit more and to feel like there is generations behind me in, in the roles that I'm playing these days, which are often really terrifying and really uncomfortable. Um, but, you know, we're, we have a lot of years of healing and reconciliation to do after all that's happened in the recent past and it's still happening. So I'm really proud to be able to be an advocate and to share stories and to just kind of instinctually help in the way that I feel I'm meant to. Getting back to the piece about language, Eddie reminds us of the origins of the term two-spirit. Um, another thing to remember is that uh, two-spirit is a, very much a pan-Indigenous term. Um, it's it's a catch-all phrase kind of that was invented in late 80s, early 90s, just to, to acknowledge the existence of gender-variant people. Um, but it doesn't every it, it doesn't kind of encompass all of the different cultures. Um, each culture kind of had their own word for it. They had um, their own roles for these people. Um, and so you can't really make any broad generalizations about it. We're still kind of in the baby steps of re-exploring what that means, I think, and redefining it. Um, so it's definitely a generic term um, that you can't really make any assumptions about. Um, Two-spirit people are not necessarily gay or lesbian. They're not necessarily transgender. Um, they're, yeah, they're not necessarily cisgender. They can be many, many different things. So I think problems arise when you kind of put the label on, you go, okay, Two-Spirit is this one thing. It's really not. It's it's just uh, just the beginning of kind of just trying to like rediscover the language. Similarly, non-binary can mean many different things. There's not one poster child for the gender variant experience. And as Eddie mentioned, problems arise when we start thinking there is. So what other misconceptions are there about being gender non-binary? I mean, the most obvious one is probably that uh, you have to be androgynous, which is supposed to mean like some vaguely mask-leaning, um, no discernible secondary sex characteristics and like, you know, just uh, like almost just look like genderless in your like embodiment which is like weird because a lot of those like what that means to people and how people read like androgyny and and that genderlessness is always toward mask it's like that's uh, that's the a weird visibility of masculinity the yeah. visibility of whiteness this is something exactly that, like... the whiteness piece is huge too because it's all the like and thin thinness not everyone uses they them pronouns who is non-binary and like also that's valid i think you can look however you want and it's not that you're less non-binary it's just it's not one body it being non-binary can come in every single form um and it's yeah it's not reserved for um you know someone who's thin and androgynous or yeah something about that Oh, I think that it's a misconception that um, non-binary means that you have no gender, that you don't believe in male or female, that um, some people do believe that. Um, and maybe we would prefer we had no pronouns or no gendered words. Um, I could see that would be actually really cool. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and some languages don't. So I mean, that I could see that'd be amazing. Um, some misconceptions about being non-binary are that, that we don't believe in the importance of gender. I've gotten that one a lot, um, because people think that I'm just trying to do away with something that they feel is really deep and important to them. And it's maybe the first time that it's been called to question for them something really foundational to their experience. <laughs> uh, which I think is a gift. And I watch people squirm in their defensiveness and get angry about, oh, well, you just think we shouldn't have male or female or he or she. Well, I like those. They're important. You know, and I go, you think I don't know that? Like I was assigned a she and I'm a he. <laughs> of course, I think it's important. I know that. Um, 
But I guess it's just what we do with that and the rules around them need to change. And that's the misconception. It's not that we shouldn't have any gender at all. I think gender is really powerful and really beautiful. It's a mystery. What is it? I don't know. It's a total mystery. It's part of our energetic matrix. What is it? I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, it exists, you know. Despite the intangible nature of gender and a lack of logic around why it's become the lens through which we are taught to understand the world, gender policing happens all the time. It presents as a composite of insidious rules, expectations, and widespread beliefs about who can and cannot do what or do it well based on the gender they were assigned at birth. As you can imagine, this is something that non-binary people come up against all the time. For example, a commonly held belief is that AFAB folks, that is, people that were assigned female at birth, AFAB, are innately more nurturing. It might seem like a benign assumption, but it can cause a lot of harm for AFAB folks who don't want to be nurturing, don't find it easy or natural, or simply have other qualities they prefer were seen and appreciated. We learn what's expected of us early on, and many of us internalize these expectations to the point where we feel like we're failing at gender because we're not gravitating towards the roles and competencies that align with the gender we were assigned at birth. On the flip side, AMAB folks, assigned male at birth, might come up against the assumption that they're good with cars or they're unemotional. We limit ourselves when we expect so much to be determined by letter on our birth certificate. Here's Ned speaking about growing up with the pressures and expectations that come with gendered socialization. Yeah, there were many things that I felt as a young person that I had to either turn away from or turn towards, um, and many things that I felt that I was rewarded for or punished for, and that, I think, directed my um, concept of self for a very, very long time. Um, And so it was only really through um, speaking with people who had also seen those truths and were also living in a brave way that I was able to see that that was a lens that I had been given and that it was not a, it was narrowing my view and my vision and my vision of myself and of the world. Um, so I think that has a lot to do with playfulness and, and a lot to just do with self-expression in a whole bunch of different ways. You know, um, being able to care for yourself with, you know, tears or self-affection or, or some of the things that maybe feel a little bit softer even though they're still hard um, that was not really acceptable for me to demonstrate and um, why the hell not yeah I think sometimes when people are like oh I bet you want there didn't for gender not to exist and I'm like one thing that I really do want is that different gendered bodies and different gendered qualities and different gendered stories are valued equally. That, ha- you know, like I think that it's not necessarily about doing away with gender completely, but it, it's about saying, like, all of these bodies are valuable and they shouldn't be put in some sort of hierarchy where it's like, you know, if, if this body does this, then it's good. But if this body does that same thing, it's not good. And we and, and the value of that skill or that capacity or that quality or that personality trait is then devalued on another body. Mm-hmm. For me, that doesn't fit. And that's that's about obviously like bringing down the patriarchy. You know us monsters, we could take you any. I heard a really good thing the other day. It was uh, gender binary is like astrology for the genitals. You were born under the sign of the penis. Therefore, you must be good with power tools and repress your emotions or something like that. Like it's just, when you look at it that way, it is really, really ridiculous. It's, I think it's important that we we move towards separating sex and gender more and more because gender is so, so much more than biology, so much more. Eddie goes on to talk about how freeing ourselves from the inherited baggage around how a certain body equates to a specific set of qualities can change how we see ourselves and others. Considering myself to spirit um, helps me to kind of move away from the expectations that I feel like society may be putting on me just because of deep, deep deep-rooted colonialism and societal training and stuff. Um, 
it's unhealthy to be encouraged to behave a certain way based on your possession of certain body parts. So, yeah, I really just think that, you know, we we have a body, but we're a lot more than that. So being non-binary helps me to move away from expectations of myself, um, of other people, and just helps me feel more free and just kind of exploring and moving through the day without judgment and looking at people without assumptions or judgment. The insidious urge to judge and categorize gender becomes obvious when the experience of being non-binary is put into its own strict category, its own little box to tick, its own set of rules and expectations. Here's Ned. You know, the binary um, understanding of gender is is um, really about categorization in some pretty key ways and, and dividing people into very specific um, roles. And I think that one of the things that can happen is that people then make an assumption that non-binary is just a third category um, and another method of categorization or it falls within a similar chart or a similar understanding of the world. It's just an addition to. And I, um, there's no question that for some people maybe that that's true. Um, but I actually think that part of the the concept of, of non-binary and understanding non-binary is, is understanding that the binary is a lens too um, and that it's a way of looking at the world. It's not the way the world is. Yeah, and I think like I can, yeah, I have it in some ways like internalized that that idea that to be non-binary, like I have to prove it in some way, like that like, I can notice that come up for me at times and just have to like quiet that little voice and be like, no, just, just do your thing. Like I was saying about femininity and masculinity, it's like these qualities we associate can have such huge consequences on the way that we're um, perceived in the world and sometimes it will have an impact on how we see ourselves so sometimes it's important to um, externalize our expressions of being non-binary hmm expressions of being non-binary well being non-binary can look like anything and everything i'm wearing levi's 501s cut off just below the knee and a belt that i found in the free pile with like a nice buckle that i love it's very grounding for me and um a muscle tee with a moon on my chest and um yeah i like this outfit and a gold hat clothes aren't just clothes they mean something and when we see ourselves and how we feel even when we're not looking at ourselves but how we feel the fabric against our legs Mm -hmm. the tightness of something or like Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's all significant, and it all shapes our experience walking through the world. I don't know. Bright colors, flowy things, like things that just weren't available to me in my uh, childhood growing up or were like I understood as like closed off. Um, Painted nails, haircut that's like more stereotypically femme. I can wear a tuxedo and have like a lace shirt on underneath and like whatever you know it's just like I just I don't want to see things as being like oh wearing a dress is feminine and wearing a suit is masculine and then I just I like to play with all the possibilities that exist like whether it's like with fabrics or color or like with my hair or with the way I hold my body or the way I gesture with my hands as I'm talking to you <laughs> or the way that I blush sometimes when I'm like talking about something personal. Yeah. My gender utopia looks like um, we're all able to express our with fashion, with combinations of clothing that are celebratory that are that are creative i would say like my expression changes quite a bit um from being kind of androgynous femme yeah androfemme is language that i've used to describe my style um but that really does change on the daily and i wear a lot of cargo pants a lot of cargo pants But despite all the beautiful ways that we present ourselves and grow into our genders together, the way we're seen by other people can have a huge impact on our daily comfort and safety. I 
yeah, I think that's a, a huge myth that I've kind of had to uh, fight against within my own family that what I am is not real, which is a pretty hard thing to kind of, you know, you find something that's really true to yourself after, you know, your 20 whatever years on the planet. And then for the people closest to you to say, no, that's not a real thing at all. Um, you're just bad at what you were assigned, basically, and you need to get better. I mean, I find that being non-binary sometimes, unfortunately, brings with it some really probing looks from people trying to categorize you in public spaces. So like things as invasive as people scanning my chest or scanning my crotch to try to determine what box they want to put me in. Um, it's it's felt pretty intense at certain times. Um, and then, yeah, sort of those microaggressions that sort of add up that have mm-hmm. added up for sure in in all of my most most moments I use a public a, a gendered public bathroom um it's I keep my head down I try to like kind of make myself as small as possible um or I'd bring a friend in with with me so that I can talk with them and people can hear my voice um and that's just a way to try to leave leave the washroom without having an interaction with somebody that's gonna make me feel totally rattled and is gonna just add to another microaggression that at the end of the day makes me feel um unwell and um yeah like I don't know what the answer is to that like without gender neutral bathrooms I don't know what the answer is like I don't know what people expect me to do part of my shift in transition has actually been recognizing that like I'm a lot more vulnerable than I was at some point in my life and like remembering and like acknowledging and affirming for myself that that's true because sometimes I just forget and I'm in like old brain mode where I, where I could just like do things that I now can't do as comfortably. But it's a misconception that I'm dysphoric because I am non-binary and I'm trans. I am dysphoric in a lot of ways. That's been part of my process. But it's because the society is confused and it's not because I am. And I've had to come home to that over and over and really decolonize my own brain because it does come from colonization that we have this illusion that there's something wrong with us. And literally, if we want health care as trans people, we have to participate in that misconception that, and go along with that pathology. Our diagnosis is that we have dysphoria. Um, I have dysphoria about the dominant culture. I don't have dysphoria about my own gender and my own body. Um, but I still have to face that misconception, that lie that we're sick and there's something wrong with us. Um, and there's not. And now that I've transitioned with testosterone, I still feel that as my predominant paradigm. I'm presented and seen as male now, and I would say people don't know how much of a dyke I am. Um, whereas before, I presented as a dyke and butch, and that was very visible. Uh, they didn't know how much of a male I am. I could stay for I wanna sing. I wanna live like this. Wanna live like this. Wanna live like this. All the time. Because we have to interface with a world that oftentimes tells us that our identities are wrong unnatural or that we're just not doing it right. As non-binary people, we oftentimes have a lot of healing to do in order to feel well in ourselves. Here's Eddie. Yeah, growing up being um, a white passing, cis passing, often straight passing, two-spirit indigenous person was pretty both kind of isolating and guilt-inducing for me. So you know, while it made it easier and safer for me to move through the world in a lot of ways, Existing in stealth mode was kind of a lonely experience for me. Um, you know, like some of the racist and transphobic stuff I heard people say when they when they didn't realize they were in, you know, mixed company was really damaging for my personal development for a long time. Um, so being two-spirit feels like reclaiming a lot of years that I lost in self-hatred and doubt and isolation. Um, and it moves just beyond... It, it moves... It moves me beyond the strict definitions of of any of that, of 
yeah, of the Western definition of male and female. So it's a lot of things. It is a lot. It's a lot. It's 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 not everything, but it is a piece of being someone who people don't know how to categorize. Mm-hmm. Washrooms are a place where that comes to a head in a in a public place that I can't avoid. I I need to pee. I mean, I've heard of trans people or non-binary people that um, you know, have a higher rate of like UTIs and things like that because like we're holding it because we don't feel comfortable to go to the bathroom. Like the the health consequences um are obviously beyond this that that particular um example, but it's just like you know, it's just not okay for people to not feel safe to just do something that's absolutely essential to being a human being. Just like for a really long time being like, I don't like if I don't use the men's bathroom, like it's just like going to be a huge thing. And I don't want to be confronted with that at all. Um, And that was just, it was just easier for me because I was just like, looked like a queer not necessarily not a dude for a long for a good chunk of my like time as a non-binary person and starting on hormones and also just like my like adornments being more stereotypically feminine um meant that I all of a sudden was confronted (laughs) It's been a tricky thing where there's lots of times where I just choose to not go, you know, when it's like going to be a bigger deal than I want to have to contend with. Or I like try and like go because still I feel like the discourse that happens around like it's always like the wrong people using the women's washroom, right? And that's the thing that you're like like threatened with like violence and retribution for doing um so my tendency is like if i just can't wait use the men's washroom but try and like go as quickly as possible you know it's like just like get in get out but like a really nice thing that's i feel like i've leaned into more in the last while is actually like when i'm with somebody who just like doesn't have the same like struggles around like is just can more comfortably use one of the binary washrooms is like actually even just ask them to check for me what the situation is you know if I don't if I'm somewhere where I don't know um and it's not like blatantly obvious from like wherever you are like at a restaurant or something and allyship like this is something that people can learn in queer community which is vital in many people's exploration of their gender I mean, having people in my life, in my community who are non-binary and trans people um, who remind me that gender can be fun. Gender doesn't have to be this heavy burden that you carry around with you. It can be playful. It can be sexy. It can be a way of connecting with other people. Um, It can be a beautiful, uplifting thing. It can be these wings that carry you through your day. I think that previously, like as a younger person, Gender was a burden that I like dragged around with me. And I think having that turn around into something that could be uplifting is so beautiful. And I'm so I'm grateful for like uh, my non-binary um, trans queer um, community and friends who who helped me see a more beautiful side of myself and my own gender um, and help me see those ever expanding possibilities of gender expression something that I love about my gender is that it allows me to connect with other people who are sort of being authentically themselves and it allows me to um, see beyond um, some of the ways that I was really stuck in for a very long time about the world Uh, and so the amount of connection and uh, community that's really available um, and that I feel that I can participate in. I think those are things that I'm really, really grateful for. Sometimes I get brave and go out in the world in ways that are a bit scary. That can be still hard because being non-binary can also mean lots of violence coming at you from the world. And it can also be a huge 
yeah, it can, it can be really hard as well. So I think that now, at this point in my life, having community around me that makes me feel seen and beautiful and like like I'm I'm doing it right you know that is what is beautiful about my gender is um my community who helps me feel feel into my gender um because I think yeah growing up I had a lot of shame and a lot of self-hate I mean these things just don't go away easily I'm still working through lots of those things but um I think that I'm closer than I was to um to a place of of loving myself and loving my gendered expression um it's definitely a journey and I'm happy to be on it with um some incredibly beautiful folks In fact, I have only been able to live into a more affirming reality. And that's through the resilience of our community. That's through just the healing that I've been able to do with my community and really reclaiming for ourselves what is beautiful, what's powerful, what's true. When people are empowered in their gender identity and feel seen and loved and safe to explore in their communities, being non-binary can become totally, beautifully gender magic. One thing I really love about being Two-Spirit is that it encourages me to look at things from a more holistic perspective. I don't really um, pass judgment or place labels on things inherently. Um, I think that my experiences in life um, early on being mistreated when I was first trying to figure out my identity and... um, and now, um, having reclaimed that and am sharing it so openly in public, uh, often on stage, I think that's all led me to be a more compassionate person just because I've had really negative experiences and I've seen others that have had. And um, I think I'm more empathetic for it. Um, I attribute that a lot to my experience with gender for sure. Um, and it makes me more open to things in general. I feel like it helps my creativity a lot. I don't, I don't feel limited at all. I feel very, very free. Yeah, I feel very free and I feel very uh, excited to share and express how I may be feeling. You know, I love about butch gender um, kind of earnestness. I love a good brow furrow, like a good like deep eye look, deep gaze. That's something that we butches have is this kind of earnest care. And what I see in that is that it expresses a kind of soft, kind strength. And I want to say sensuality, too. Yeah, it's cheesy, and it's so great. It's so good. Um, but I really, what I love also about my gender is the the way that I've continue to experiment that I've continued to explore how to be in my body how to be in my gender how how that relates to the world I would say my gender is playful and exploratory like there's an expansiveness I I really enjoy that there's a there's a indeterminacy where it just feels like I can like pull things out of this like amorphous gender cloud and uh, I'm not bound in any direction because I feel like even I'm learning like while IDing as a femme that it's just it's it's not healthy for me to have like a narrow idea of what that means you know and I feel like it's easy to fall in that trap when we're looking for like um, outward validation and recognition where it's like I want to like we're basically like flagging in a lot of ways like in in all these various senses like what our what our gender is to folks so that they more easily initially can read us I guess and it's like makes sense to want to be intelligible to the people who you're in a space with and not have to like go on a big spiel every time you want to connect with somebody around it or you want to mention something about your your gender and 
how it plays into who you are. But just like having less rigidity about that and more comfort in knowing that this is who I am and no matter whether I'm like looking my most femme that day, that that's not going to like change my feminists. I think religion was developed as like a way to like answer questions about the universe and what, how to live and what to do and like how to be a human. And I think that in contrast to that, like queerness offers this like other possibility of like infinity. Like you don't have to have fixed points or final answers or you don't have to like have these definitive things telling you like this is how to be a human at one point you know for years i was really alienated and dysphoric in a way where i felt i belonged nowhere and that i had no affinity for gender that made sense in the culture around me and it was lonely i was just very angry and there was a turning point where I realized that it wasn't that I had no affinity for gender. It was that I had affinity for all gender. And I went from existing nowhere to existing everywhere and from relating to no one except for people like me, which was such a minority that it was really lonely and scary, um, to relating to everyone. Um, and that is really powerful. And that is who we are. And it's one of the things that needs to be reclaimed. Um, and I think it's part of this, and I don't think that we do it even enough in our trans or non-binary communities. Like I think a lot of people still suffer that alienation, that loneliness, that they belong nowhere. Um, when really it's just been such a gift that it's unfolded more and more and more for me in my life that like that we belong and relate to everyone. That's our gift. Um, we're gender blessed. Our diversity is a blessing for ourselves and for other people. We can relate to everyone. I literally can have relatable experiences in my body, in a social way, experience way to like men, women, gender queer, like a lot of different people, gay, straight, like there's a lot. I'm just really excited to see um, more more space being given to to our voices and stuff. And I'm really grateful um, that, that people are becoming more open and willing to listen. Um, I think that we have a lot of work to do, but that there's a really interesting societal shift happening and I'm very excited to, to see where it goes. And I really wanna help with that in any way I can. There's moments, like as far as like gendered moments, it is like going to an event, seeing like a bunch of my pals, they're all just being beautiful and hot and it's great. <laughs> that's like a glimpse yeah you know totally and the visions that you brought to mind of like kids being safe to explore and that's just normal that's that's like a yeah that's a picture of what it could look like if we peeled it back peel back the binary this is making me think i i want to do more to create gender utopia spaces because they are so important for us to recalibrate to and have space to really wear what we want to wear. I mean, we just don't, you know, I spent a week in a gender utopia space and I'll just be completely strong and free. Being non-binary can be hard. It can be really hard. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and am filled with more self-doubt than self-love. Sometimes I have interactions with someone in a public space that just makes me feel misunderstood, like I'm under surveillance baffled that some random person feels compelled to tell me what my identity is. But at the end of those days, my community is there for me. And that is huge. I don't know, maybe there's this sense that like, there's a some pinnacle of being non-binary, there's a way to do it right. And I feel like if you identify as non-binary, you're bi non-binary enough. That's it. That's already, you're already enough. Yeah. You're enough, Katie. You're enough, Coco. Thank you. <laughs> Going for the tears there. To end, here's Eddie singing a song they wrote about being two-spirit. I'm two-spirit, what does it mean? 
This episode of Taking Up Space was produced by myself, Coco Nielsen, and Nicola Watts with help from Sarah Sulman and Katie Sage. Our executive producer is Mary Decker. Thank you to all of our amazing guests on this episode, Jade, Ned and Lane, Janine, Otis, and Eddie. This program would not be possible without the generous support of the Community Radio Fund of Canada. If you like this episode, there are seven other episodes you can check out on our podcast feed. So subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, you'll love Taking Up Space's two-part series on drag and the history of LGBTQ rights in Canada called You Better Work to End the Gender Binary. Hey. Give me your ear. Let's uh, let's pull back the curtain for a minute and check out behind the scenes of CFPB's podcasts. My name's Mary Decker, and I'm the executive producer of this podcast. We wanted to do this project because we wanted a way to bring narrative audio stories that were hyper-local and centered underrepresented voices to our community, because narrative storytelling is such an effective way to apply a critical lens and to explore these greater themes through everyday experiences. But also, it's such a good way to engage people with things that they might not otherwise really care about. Um, it offers perspective and nuance and like it creates this investment and I think that's really cool. <laughs>